2, we'll be starting in verse 12. But before we get it, um, start reading the text, I just want to get some ideas from the four here. Um, you know, we all know that, you know, sometimes sharing our faith to some people could be a little bit intimidating. People sometimes get afraid of rejection. Um, but, you know, often that's usually just our pride. Um, you know, when you think about the rejection that Jesus went through, and yet he still went to the cross for us and through that rejection. And many believers before us, because of their faith in Christ, lost their life. And here we have so much freedom to be a witness, and we don't really use it like we should. But there are sometimes other creative ways, um, different ways that, in addition to our one-on-one soul winning, um, that there could be other ways that we could be a witness or places we could leave gospel tracts. And I just want to get some ideas from four, maybe some creative ideas that you've had um, where you were able to share your faith or give a gospel tract out and um, something that was maybe a little bit unique. I know some people have put on toilet paper rolls. I don't recommend that style. Um, But, hey, there have been people that have said they got saved because of it. Okay? (laughs) Okay? But anybody have any, any thoughts, any ways they've been witnessed before? I know, Brooke, I know you have several and stuff. Uh, a- a- anybody? Come on. Come on, where's some? Mark? All right. Yeah, you meet someone. Yeah, you can be. Yeah, okay. Keep tracks in your car. All right. <laughs> All right, yeah. Yeah, you know, a few years ago, um, she's moved now, but um, talked to a lady. Um, we, were, we were buying blueberries and gave her a track and buy her a church. And about a month later, she showed up and... I didn't recognize her at first and just talking to her and asked her if she's just moving the area. Or um, I was like, oh, no, I've lived around here for a while. I was like, oh, great. How do you hear about the church? She goes, well, you invited me. And I've never had anybody invite me to church before, so I thought I'd come. And so praise the Lord. Um, anybody else? Brooke? Yeah, praise the Lord. She'll just be on the telephone with people. And she's had some good communications um, because of it, too. And, you know, people just kind of say, like, you know what? Some people already say, but, like, you know what? I need to get back, get back serving the Lord. Um, one, thing, one thing that, you know, we did, um, did it last month, and, you know, we're, I think we're going to do it next month on Alaska, but... You know, it's just having something we can market, something to sell, a booth at a community festival. And, you know, we got candles um, that were actually given to us by a family. And, uh, and so we've been selling candles. And Onalaska's having a, their Apple Harvest Festival. And we've had a church booth before. And we'd have some people come. And we're usually pretty aggressive out there passing out tracks, even if they're not coming to the booth. But what we found this last month, when you have something, like we had candles, um, and it doesn't look like a church booth, they just see candle, and they come and look at the candles. And then we invite them to VBS, we invite them to church. And so um, I don't ever want to use the ministry to build my business, but I'd love to use my business to help build the ministry, about lead people to Christ and stuff. So um, that, that, that's a helpful way. Anybody else? Anybody else have any ideas? All right, yeah. And, you know, we, we've had T-shirts made before with the church logo. Um, if anyone wants to get one, we don't have the funds just to go out and buy a bunch. But if you would like to um, buy one, and maybe in the future we'll buy a bunch of them. And they'll have our church logo and 
Um, maybe on the back, say, come be our guests or um, something like that. It works great for events, but also works just walking in Walmart and people seeing it. I know um, some business owners have had our um, tracks um, on their, um, right on their desk um, or up front. So that's one way. Um, anybody else have any ideas? All right, well, have another idea. Um, let's see. Um, anybody have a smartphone? Anybody have them? Okay, some of them have. Um, go ahead and take it out. Okay, go ahead and take it out and open it. Okay, anybody got it out yet? Some people are still working on it. As they're saying, you got theirs. Okay, you got, got, you have Facebook on your phone? Facebook on your phone? Go ahead and open the um, Facebook app, if, if you have that. And there's something that you could do, like, not in the middle of the service like we're doing today. I'm just giving the idea right now, and so we could do it now. But other times, like when you come to church, um, and then you open your Facebook, click on check in, and, uh, and then if you don't have your location settings turned on, um, if you do, if you have your location settings on, then it'll show Napa Vine Baptist Church um, right there. If not, you could um, start typing it in, and then click on it, and then just say something. Type something, oh, looking forward to um, going to church today. So you type that in, and then you click on share. And then you've just invited, you showed all your Facebook friends, or you say something like, hey, you know, um, if you're not able to be at church this week, or you don't have a church home, why don't you come check out our church home next week? And then that lets your friends on your list know, hey, where you're going to church. And who knows, maybe one of them will see it one day, and they'll be like, I'm going to go try that church out. So just a creative way um, of inviting people um, to church. So um, just there's all kinds of different ways, and we just want to try to take up those opportunities um, wherever we can, whether it's to be a, um, more of a one-on-one -on -one personal witness of Christ. Sometimes okay, yeah, the, when you're at the checking out a fast food restaurant, you're probably not going to get through the whole Romans Road talking to the person. They got customers to serve, but you could give them a gospel tract. They'll have the information on the back. And just have the courage to do it. After you do it, you'll be like, oh, that wasn't hard. You know, they say, oh, thank you, thank you. Um, I think I've maybe had it turned down once that way. Um, and then if you do, you know, you don't get your feelings hurt. You just move on. John chapter 2. Oh, yeah, one other announcement. Um, or not really announcement, but, but a letter um, to our church. Um, this is a family that we as a church um, sent. Um, $100 to it's a church planner um, family, um, Matt and Alyssa Farinella, and um, at Foundation um, Baptist Church um, in Sammamish. And so, planning church there. And just last year, um, they found out that his wife had cancer, and we've been, we've been praying for her um, here and there. And... Um, well, anyways, they had not related to the, um, the cancer. Um, she's still under treatment and everything, and so be in prayer for that. But um, the roof they had on their house was 27 years old, and the roof was like a 20-year roof, and so it really was leaking. And so at a pastor's fellowship meeting, um, I was at someone else mentioned it. Someone offered to do all the labor for them, and just if a bunch of churches could be involved, and um, just trying to be a help to them in buying the materials. And so even though we don't have a lot of funds, um, we sent $100. You know what the Bible even talks about? You know what the churches, different churches in Macedonia, that in their deep poverty, they gave. And so, you know, no matter what we have, you know, whether it's little or much, we could seek to be a blessing. But he said, Dear Pastor Jason and Church, please let me take a moment to say thank you for the generous love offering for our roof. This was an unexpected surprise for us, but after 27 years with the same roof on our house, this surprise 
could not have come at a better time. Thank you for contributing to this blessing. Gratefully, Matt Farinella and family. And um, so we in prayer for them. You know what? Uh, um, been still in the church plant for a few years and stuff. And I think it might be five years now. Um, but church plant, it could be tough work and stuff. They're meeting at another building and everything. Um, John chapter 2 and verse 12. It says, After this, went, he went down. And after this, as Jesus had just done his first miracle of turning the water um, into the wine. After this, he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brethren and his disciples, and they continued there not many days. And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge and small cores, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen, and poured out the changers' money, and overthrew the tables, and said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house an house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house have eaten me up. Then answered the Jews, and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and will thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover and the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them, because he knew all men, and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. May God bless the reading of his word. Jesus' home was in Capernaum um, at this time. And uh, it's no wonder that later on that um, Jesus would talk about how much woe is upon Capernaum, that um, where he lived, where he did different miracles, but where the Son of God was, and yet they still rejected him. And here they um, end up moving out, or they end up leaving Capernaum um, for the time being with his mother and his brethren, and his disciples came along as well um, and believe on him in, in verse 11. And the Passover was at hand. And so it was common for the men that um, 20 years and up would um, come every year to celebrate this um, feast, a feast of unleavened bread, um, the Passover. And um, this was the first of three Passovers which John mentions in verse 13 and then also in chapter 6, verse 4, and then in chapter 11, verse 55. And that's how we're able to kind of see a timeline of the events um, of Jesus' ministry on the earth by the different Passovers that would happen on an annual um, basis. And so as the Passover was at hand, the Jews would select the lamb on the 10th of the month, and it would, usually, it would be on the 14th day of the lunar month of Nisan, which would either be towards the end of March or the beginning of April in, in the way we see our calendar. They would then... Slaughter the lamb between 3 and 6 p.m. in the afternoon on the night of the, fe- on the, night of the feast. The, and the Passover would be what would commemorate the deliverance of the Jews from slavery in Egypt when the angel of death passed over Jewish homes in Egypt whose doorposts would be sprinkled with blood. 
And they would put somewhat on the sides of the doorposts and then on the top. And then the plague of the firstborn perishing, dying when the death angel came by, would be spared when there was blood on the doorpost. Before this time, though, they would go through a cleaning ritual, or it's not, not a ritual, but they would go through this cleansing where they would get rid of any leaven that was inside the house. Any type of yeast and everything, they would cleanse the home before they would partake in this feast. And it was an important part of the Passover observance. Even today, observant Jews search their house prior to Passover to remove any crumbs that maybe are even in the floor or in the corners of a pantry to get rid of any type of leaven bread. And so they would only be allowed unleavened bread um, for the Passover meal. And then it would continue for seven days. Go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus 12 and verse 18. It says, In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month, at even, ye shall eat unleavened bread until the one and twentieth day of the month at even. Seven days shall there be no leaven found in your houses, for whosoever eat of that which is leaven, even that soul shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he be a stranger or born in the land. You shall eat nothing leaven in all your habitations. Uh, shall you eat unleavened bread? So they would get rid of all the leaven from their home. So there wouldn't even be a trace of it. And in different portions of Scripture, sometimes leaven is a picture or a type of sin. Not always. Sometimes it's used in a positive sense. But most often it's used is a analogy for sin. You see, Paul speaks about how even a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So that even a little sin in the church, it affects the entire church body. Now here, Jesus comes in, and it's the Passover, but it's the temple that's needing cleansing. And this time it's not from the actual leavened bread, but of the leaven of making the house of God a house of merchandise. They were selling oxen, sheep, and doves. And um, now initially what would happen is, outside of the temple, they would have um, different marketplaces up, and then the Jews were allowed that, the Jews would be bringing a sacrifice, and so they would bring animals to do for different, different kinds of sacrifices, However, those that traveled from afar, if they brought their best forth, it could perish on the way, um, um, or different things could happen. It could make the travel too difficult, or different types of issues that could cause problems. So they were allowed to take their best of their lambs and the doves and everything, and they could sell it back at home, And then they would bring their funds and they would purchase one near the temple. And it was done outside of the temple. But now what had happened is they were bringing the marketplaces inside the outer portion of the temple. Where only the the Gentiles would worship. The Gentiles would not be allowed in the inner side of the temple, but in the outside. So in a way, the Jewish people were disrupting any type of worship for the Gentiles. That it had now become a huge marketplace. Hey, imagine, you know what, coming to the church. And now the church is not the Old Testament temple, but you come to the church, and and we're just here trying to sell a bunch of stuff, or trying to sell ties, try sell suits, sell dresses, or um, sell candles, or whatever it may be, and making the house of God, the assembly, a house of merchandise. And so Jesus comes in and um, what needed to cleanse the temple. is the people, as they were in the outer temple, 
selling things, and now no longer were they doing this as a convenience to the worshiper coming, but now they would charge great usury. They would charge a lot of interest, extra taxes for them to buy things at the temple. And so they were taking advantage of the people that needed a sacrifice. Go ahead and turn to Malachi chapter 3. Now you ask the average person on the street or wherever, the marketplace, wherever, you ask them about Jesus, what do they think of Jesus? Many of them will talk about how Jesus is always a great man, you know, he was a good prophet, that he was a good teacher, um, he did many miracles. So they'll speak, po- many times they'll speak positively, not always, but many times they will. But they'll talk about um, the gentle Jesus, meek and mild. In Malachi chapter 3, in verse 1, and now this passage, I believe, is pretty much kind of like twofold in speaking of Jesus' first coming, but also giving, um, giving a fuller application for when he comes back again. But we still see a foreshadow of it in his first coming. It says in chapter 3, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. Okay, that's speaking of John the Baptist, as you know, we preached on um, earlier in um, previous weeks. And he goes, And the Lord, whom ye seek, shall suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant, whom ye delight in, behold, he shall come, save the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi, and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness." And so here we have, with Jesus first coming, He enters into His temple. And He is this refiner's fire. He is not coming in this temple meek and lowly. As people always only want to put in their mind, is the soft or uh, effeminate type of Jesus. No, He comes in as the refiner's fire. And now the dual application is that when Jesus comes back, that he will go in his temple and he will rule on this earth with a rod of iron, that he will, um, even more so than he did when he entered the temple at this time. But we see Jesus was not happy. Jesus was not rejoicing at what was going on. Again, we know the cliche of gentle, meek, and mild Jesus. But when he cleanses the temple, Jesus, in truly prophetic style, as you see many of the tough prophets in the Old Testament, does something highly courageous and startling. Sure enough, his authority is promptly challenged. They're like, by what authority do these things? What sign shows us that you have the ability or that you have the power to do this to the temple? They were upset about him coming. And we see that he made a scourge of small quarries and drove them out of the temple. He turned the money changers over. He was upset. That he had a righteous anger about what his father's house had become. And then his disciples, in seeing it, saw saw it, and they remembered what the psalm said. In Psalm 69, in verse 9, where it says, For the zeal of thine house have eaten me up, and the reproaches of them that reproach thee are fallen upon me. Psalm 69 is about the righteous servant suffering. And that David is meantime speaking of himself, but then prophetically he's speaking of Jesus being that righteous servant. 
and at the zeal of thine house have eaten me up. That what was happening in God's house, it, it burned in him. It made him fume. He was angry. He was upset. It's the same, in the same Psalm, in verse 21, it says, They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. And in John 19, verse 29, we see that when Jesus was being crucified, that they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it to His mouth. That they were giving Him. We see all these different prophecies being fulfilled in Jesus. But there are things that make Jesus upset. There are lots of things that make Jesus upset, actually. You know, go ahead and turn to um, 1 Kings 11. Psalm 7.11 says, God judges of the righteous... And God is angry with the wicked every day. And you know what? God is a loving God. But if someone's going to love something, love somebody, there's going to be hate involved. There is going to be anger. You know, if anybody hurt any one of the little ones in our church, I don't know what parent would not be angry. What parent wouldn't feel some hate? That they would be angry that someone would defile their children. And that would be a righteous anger. And Jesus, who always has righteous anger, we don't always have righteous anger. You know what? Sometimes our anger is the wrath of man and it's not righteous. But many times our wrath can be righteous. But we see God is angry with the wicked every day. When you love somebody, you hate anything that would cause any harm in that relationship or in that friendship. 1 Kings 11, in verse 6, it says, And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord. You know, my son, he gets like, oh no, you know, he doesn't want to hear his name, anything bad with it. My son, he doesn't even like when we're doing a skit, he doesn't want to be the bad guy. He doesn't want to be the villain. He feels like he's actually being it if he's playing the part. When he's here, and Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and went not fully after the Lord as David his father. Then did Solomon build in high place for Shemosh the abomination of Moab, and the hill that is before Jerusalem. And for Moloch, the abomination of the children of Ammon, where they would sacrifice children on burning statues. They would offer their child as a sacrifice to these. Where our God doesn't ask for our children to be sacrificed, but He sacrificed His Son for our behalf. It's the difference between the false gods of the world and the God that loved us. And it says, And likewise did he for all his strange wives, which burnt incense and sacrifice unto their gods. And the Lord was happy. No. The Lord was angry. The Lord was angry with Solomon, because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice, and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should go, not go after other gods, but he kept not that which the Lord had commanded." Wherefore the Lord said unto Solomon, For as much as this is done of thee, and thou hast not kept my covenant and my statutes which I have commanded thee, I will surely rend a kingdom from thee, and will give it to thy servant. God was angry. Angry at these people following it, and Solomon being the king, the leader of Israel, and he's building these high places, he's building these altars to false gods that his wives led him astray in. That his wives turned his heart away from falling after the true God. And God was angry. 
Mark 3. Go ahead and turn to Mark 3. Mark 3 and verse 1. Or no, in verse 3. No, verse 1. Okay. And he entered again into the synagogue, and there was a man there which had a withered hand. And they watched him whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day, that they might accuse him. And he saith unto the man which had the withered hand, Stand forth. And he saith unto them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days, or to do evil, to save life or to kill? Jesus knew what was in the heart of man, and so he asked this question. But they held their peace. They wouldn't dare speak. And when he had looked round about on them, he was happy. No. No, he looked down with anger. Man, you just imagine the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ looking about you with anger. Man, I know children don't like to see their parents giving them the eye of wrath or of anger when, when they've done something wrong. But man, to have the Lord, the Son of God, to look about them with anger and then being grieved for the hardness of their hearts. He saith unto the man, Stretch forth thy hand, and he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. And the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians, who they did not like either, but he took counsel with them against him, how they might destroy him. Their heart was so hard that they wanted a fine accusation against Jesus for making a man's arm whole, for making his hand whole again. Jesus was angry. In that type of attitude, that type of heart. And oh, I believe Jesus is angry when, you know what, there's opportunity for us to minister to someone, whether it's with addictions or a troubled past and people that look down upon them and are like, oh, we don't want those kind of people in our church. Ooh, I think Jesus looks down with anger. He wants to make people whole. He wants to see people restored and the church is supposed to be that type of lighthouse to be that place where people find Jesus. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness because that which may be known of God is manifest in them for God have showed it unto him. And so the same God, the same Jesus, who is meek, who is humble, is also a God of anger. He's also a God that hates. Go ahead and turn to Proverbs 6. And as we say to, said, if you're going to love something, you're going to hate something else. If you're going to Love your spouse. You're going to hate divorce. You love something, there's the opposite that you hate. Proverbs 6, verse 16 says, These six things of the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto them. Some of you go, man, how's that math work? Hate six, but the seven is an abomination? You know, this is, this is the type of figure of speech where, okay, he's saying, I hate these six things. The seventh is even, even worse. That, that this is really bad. But we see these things God hates. There are things that God hates. And first we see a proud look. God hates a proud look. He despises it. You know, you usually could recognize it. You know, I, I remember, you know, long ago in this church, you know, there's a lady, she walked around like with her nose in the air, literally. Every time, every time she come, you say hello. She said, I want to shake your hand. She would just walk like this. Man. She wanted to ser- um, be the nursery director. I was like, no way. And this is when we first got here, too. But I was like, There's no way we're going to have that be the face of the nursery. God hates a proud look. I hate a proud look. And we do well if we hate what God hates. 
You know, elsewhere with Samuel, you know, he talks about um, those that would um, help the ungodly, um, that, they, that, they, that they're hating what the Lord is doing when they help the ungodly, that we are not to help that which God hates. God hates a proud look. God resisteth the proud. God hates a lying tongue. God hates it. You know, when our children lie, you know, we need to take it seriously because God takes it seriously. God hates it. You know, when it comes in your heart to utter a lie, you know, whether it's to an employer or to someone else, you know what? You, you, you cast down that imagination, that thought. You can't get it far from you. God hates the lying tongue. I don't know if any of you watched Andy's con- the confirmation hearing for the next Supreme Court justice, potentially. Oh man, the lies that would be made, the false witnesses, um, that he would be quoting somebody else, that he would give a quotation, and then the media ran with it saying he was saying it. Oh, you know what? God hates the lying tongue. And you know, the Bible says, be sure your, um, your sin will find you out. And it got revealed that they were taking everything out of contest. But God hates a lying tongue and hands that shed innocent blood. Oh, no wonder. You know, God did not only hate the false gods, the false religions, because it took away from His glory, so to speak. He hated them because of how it affected people. How it affected His creation. That people would sacrifice innocent blood at the pleasure of their gods. Their gods that were idols. Gods that they made with their own hands. And they would sacrifice their children. And here in America, we just call it a doctor's appointment. That people sacrifice their children. In the name of a woman has the right to do what she wants with her body. What about the vulnerable? What about the child? Child has the right to life. God hates whose hands that shed innocent blood. And you know what? With the Supreme Court hearing, man, people are afraid that Roe versus Wade could potentially be turned over. They rejoice in hurting these children. And they're afraid they're no longer going to be able to hurt these children. What a shame. What a disgrace. You know, we may look at other civilizations and see how barbaric they are in the Middle East of Muslims just killing people here and there, and we have it in our own country. We just consider it as more civilized. And it's not. God hates those that shed innocent blood and heart that device of wicked imaginations. God hates it. You know, a heart. Um, comes up with ideas, imaginations to do evil. Feet that be swift and run into mischief. A false witness that speak of lies. Man, you really must get that God hates lying. It's mentioned there twice. It's a lying tongue and then a false witness that bears lies. Because now when you're a witness and you're bearing false witness, someone else's life struggles and is at stake because of a lie that is told. God hates it. And he that soweth discord among brethren. He that soweth discord among brethren. You know, the first six says God hates, but the seven is an abomination. And there are sometimes those that their only purpose is they just want to sow discord between people. That whisper, separate of chief friends. That one will go back and forth and they'll look like they got your back. And their purpose is only to sow division. 
And God calls it an abomination. God hates it. Jesus is angry here at the temple that they had made his father's house a house of merchandise, a place of business. And yet God is not against business. Over throughout the Bible, you know, the Bible speaks much of business, building relationships, of um, buying, of selling, um, about how the wise steward makes their interest, they, they make their investment grow. Those are good and even godly things. But the house of God is not the place to be marketing and selling stuff. Well, we have business owners in our church. Well, we, have, we have people that run businesses or run companies. or They may not um, be um, the owner, so to speak, but they're in charge of their, um, of their role. You know, Art's in charge over at Mo Mohawk Carpeting. Um, Mel makes macarons in Olympia. And, you know, we have business owners here. And those are good things. And those are things, you know, we, I love supporting our local business owners. Supporting people and supporting it. But we're never coming into the church and having to go, oh, hey, here, come buy a macaron or come buy your carpet at Napa Vine Baptist Church. That's not the place of God's house. Yeah, that's what, you know what, some people think I'm kind of cruel in this way, but I'm just trying to be faithful with Scripture, but we don't want to let Girl Scouts sell their cookies in church. Okay? Yes, I know that's where they may know people. You know, if they want, you know, you could get their phone number, you know, you could call them at home, but in church, it's not the place to sell Girl Scout cookies or whatever it may be. This is not a marketplace. This is where we are to be reverent to the Father. Things that God hates and things that are abomination. He that sowed discord among the brethren. Now the Jews wanted to know by what authority he had the power or the ability to tell them what to do. You know, they, they, they end up leaving, or many of them left. You know, he chased them out of the temple. You know, for many of these people, they just met him. You know, when he turned the water into wine, that was in Cana. That, that, that wasn't here. Sure, you know, some of this fame maybe have spread abroad by then, but this was pretty quick. And all of a sudden, this new man enters this temple. And right, by what sign show itself? You know, many times in the Old Testament, a prophet would show signs. They would show miracles that confirm that they were sent from God. Now, you also had to be discerning because Satan could do lying wonders and miracles as well. But a prophet would come and they would give, it, give the word of God and many miracles would come from it. So they're wanting to ask Jesus, you know, what sign do us now? You know, we see, okay, we made his course small course. He drove them all out of the temple and he took out all the animals. He poured out the changers' money, overthrew the tables. Take these things hence, make not my father's house and house of merchandise. And then the disciples again realized, wow, he is eaten up with sill for the father's house. And so then they said, what sign showest thou us, seeing that thou doest these things? You know, who gave you the authority to come in here and do this? Man, he's ruining their business. Ruining their business. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Destroy, destroy this temple. And then they said of the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building. And will thou wear it up in three days? You know, they're thinking he's insane. I could picture them laughing here, you know. Like, you're gonna, this took 46 years, and this was really just for the restoration of the, of the temple here. But 46 years, and you're going to destroy it and in three days raise it up? Thought he was insane. But he spoke of his resurrection. 
He was speaking of that the hour would come, as Jesus mentions later to a woman, that the hour would come when they wouldn't come to the temple to worship, but they, would, they that worship the Father would worship in spirit and in truth, and that He is the temple. And then that we later see in the New Testament that we as Christians is the body of Christ, that we are the temple for the Holy Ghost. That we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so then they accuse Jesus of blasphemy. And even leading up to His crucifixion, they bring this up. And tell Him that, you know what, this man is planning on destroying the temple. He spoke of all neighbors. He said, he's going to destroy the temple. And he said, I will rise it up again. In Mark 14:58 is when they said, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. Anyway, John used this section of Scripture, this story. It's not just a story, it's a true story. This historical account. John uses this to really show his righteous indignation, Jesus' righteous indignation, that Jesus was the promised Messiah. That He was the Son of God. That John wrote, as you read in the end of the book, these things are written that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And so he's writing certain things about the life of Jesus to show the reader who Jesus is. And the number one, but with Jesus' anger, it shows Jesus' passion for reverence. That God's house is a place where we reverence God. Yeah, there may be times where in the illustration, you know what, there may be a funny illustration used to teach something. But at the same time, the church house is not to be a comedy show. Now, we may have a special event where we maybe do something be goofy. But when we come Sunday morning to worship the Lord, we're to treat it seriously. That there is a God in heaven to worship that deserves our honor, deserves our praise. Doesn't mean we can't have a good time, okay? We can have a good time. But you know, our focus isn't on trying to sign people up for Amway or sign people up for insurance, okay? Our focus is to worship God. To give the honor that is due His name. And so John is showing that Jesus has a passion for reverence. This wasn't a place for entertainment. We see that He reveals His power of resurrection. His power of victory over death. That He is the resurrection. That He is the life. We see thirdly. Okay, we see in verse 23. Now when He was in Jerusalem at the Passover in the feast day, many believe in His name when they saw the miracles which He did. But Jesus did not commit Himself unto them because He knew all men and He did not that any man any should testify of man for He knew what was in me. He knew what people were there just because they thought the miracles were cool. They were like, wow, they were amazed. But Jesus wasn't here to just wow them with how cool His miracles were, but to confirm His identity. To fulfill Scripture that prophesied what He would be doing. And so His omniscience of knowing the mind of man is revealed here. You can also see an application in the process of salvation. The cleansing of the temple graphically depicts God's hatred of sin and impurity. That God must judge sin. That it is not allowed in His presence in in this sense. He hates sin. He hates impurity. As Jesus came into His temple and cleansed it. And you know, in our salvation, we must have our sin cleansed. 
The second scene, the discussion of Jesus' resurrection reveals that God provides a new life in Christ who was raised because of our justification, for our justification. Romans 4.25. And in the last way, the shallow belief of the people reveals that God's provision of salvation only comes through a genuine faith. Not of just of, oh, I believe Jesus, but no, a true belief in Jesus, a belief on Jesus, a, a trust, a saving faith. Not someone that, oh, I'm just going to try Jesus to see if it helps me reform my life. No, a Jesus that, you know what, you commit that, like, enough works, but now you're committing your heart to that, man, my faith is in Jesus, that the grace of God, that bring of salvation have appeared to all men and compels me to meet Him, that draws me to Him. We believe in Jesus. Not an empty faith. Not a faith just as the devils believe and yet tremble. But a genuine faith. A saving faith. So Jesus cleansed the temple. And now we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And so in our life, we need to be cleansing the temple. I'm not talking about physically. I'm talking about spiritually. Cleansing the temple. You know, the Bible talks about how our body filled with the Holy Ghost, and that our body does not belong to fornication, that it defiles the temple that God gave us. And so we're to honor God in our temple, with our body. And that's where we should also physically strive to be in good health. You know, as long as you're in good health, um, there are some things you're able to do more effectively for the Lord. You know, now there are things that happen in our life where you know, we can't help it. Okay, you know what? Our health takes a turn for the worse, and, and that there's no fault to our own. But sometimes health problems are a fault to our own. And we're not to defile that temple that God has given us, but to be a vessel that is worthy to be used by the Master for honor. So this week... You know, when the temptation comes, you know what? Cleanse yourself. You know what? Cleanse yourself from the temptation even then. And ask the Lord to take the temptation away. But don't defile the temple. Let it be use of God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank You, Lord, for Your Word. And, and we know that our loving God that we serve, that there are also times where He is angry. And He was angry with Solomon, a man who has loved God, a man that did seek God, and yet when he allowed this sin in his life, you were angry. And we see Solomon coming to repentance at the end of his life, and him seeing much of his life was spent in vanity. Lord, help us to honor you that we would have less regrets towards seeing of our life. No doubt we'll all have regrets. We've all made foolish mistakes. But help us, Lord, to make less. Help us to live our life to the fullest, that our joy may abound in Jesus Christ. Help us to keep our temple cleansed. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a